Welcome to Much More Muchier with Pup Duffy and Caroline, an Odd Imagination production. Well, speaking of birthdays, guys, I'm here with Brett McCormick. Uh, you're getting a really cool early birthday present. They're uh, releasing The Abomination on DVD on September 26th. So that's kind of cool. And this film is it's almost 50 years old. It's what, 47 years old? This must be such an incredible, incredible accomplishment for you. It's coming out from uh, Visual Vengeance. The film is what was so great about 70s and 80s, like slasher splatter films. It, it just the the difference between it and the, you know, the cleaned up Cineplex approved horror films, which we love, you know, no shade to them. We love them as well. But your film, The Abomination, it seems more... It seems more filmed in the Tennessee woods with a bunch of friends and a ton of caro syrup, you know, right. it's that gritty. It's that gross in all the best ways. And it reminded me, the abomination itself reminded me so much of the baby from it lives kind of mixed oh. with critters. Right. <laughs> so it's horrifying looking, but it's also, I don't know. And maybe it's just a, a sign of the, the time when the film was made. It's kind of funny. I know it's supposed to be horrifying and scary, but it's kind of funny as well. I it want is you to kind of funny. I want you to take me into this film, how it got on your desk, and you were like, absolutely. Well, um, I was a huge Roger Corman fan. So you've got Little Shop of Horrors back in the 50s. So that was definitely an influence on the way the creature ended up looking. Uh Herschel Gordon Lewis was the main influence uh, when we made this movie because his movies uh, in 1986, when we did this, his movies were being re-released, uh, often transfers from really terrible prints. Uh, what was selling was the gore. I mean, the story, the acting, all of that was uh, secondary or even tertiary. And... Um, we thought since those were doing so well, we would do something. We could shoot it on Super 8 film. The quality would be good enough for that. And basically it was um, just a, an excuse to deliver the on-screen gore. Well, I think you're, I think you're right about something. It seems like the end, mid-70s, end-70s, going into the 80s, things that were taboo, things that were, air quotes, wrong, right. were being films and i think people just really like resonated with it they were like oh finally finally the the things i've been reading in books you know the things that i've been thinking about not in a bad way but you know i've been wishing to see in you know in film it's not goody goody anymore we can get crazy we can get gory you know right. but then again and you touched on this a little tiny bit in the film i think you have the other people that were like oh he's a satan worshiper you know, <laughs> right. they're, they're serving the dark Lord, but right. I, I think, um, I think the film was different for its time in a lot of ways. First of all, we shot on super eight, which was kind of unusual. Uh, there's a whole lot of gore. There's a monster that's really not exactly like any other film monster we had seen. Uh, there's the whole uh, twisted uh, televangelist angle, you know, where the guy is just milking people for their money and the woman's faith is kind of what causes her to 
cough up this tumor that starts the whole horrible ball rolling. Um, where all of that came from in my mind, I, I can't really say. I, I just know that some of the scenes, the the big bloody mouth with the teeth in it and all of that were just images that kept playing in my mind that I knew I needed to uh, capture somehow in a movie. Right. And it's funny because the, the creature, it, I don't want to give too much away, but I mean, it lives in a cupboard. So it's kind of like, what can you do? What can it do to me? I, this is supposed to be <laughs> to be honest, the televangelist to me is the scariest. <laughs> right. Yeah. That, that televangelist was played by my stepfather. His name yeah. was B.R. Flores, and he was uh, just a hugely successful commercial realtor here uh -huh. in the Dallas-Fort Worth area back then. Uh, very well respected in the community. And when we asked him to do it, because we had no money, we were just using friends and relatives to fill up the movie, I didn't really expect him to say yes, but he did for some reason. Uh, I'm sure he would have been mortified if at that time some of his friends had seen the film, but fortunately that never happened. Well, I'm sure he did it because he loved you, you know? Well, he, he did it because he was a great guy and he was a really good sport. I mean, he never would have watched a movie like this or anything even remotely like this. He wouldn't have watched a Frankenstein movie. You know, he was just a uh, uh, cops and robbers action drama kind of a guy, you know? That's so sweet that he did that, though. And also, it's kind of like this really, really long-lasting legacy. It's there for everyone to see. You can never, not live right. it down, never say, you know, they could never say, oh, he would never do that. Oh, yes, he did. And he did it. <laughs> oh. Right. You know, when we finished the film, and we were trying to get distribution for it. A lot of people, uh, most distributors were like, no, we can't touch this. It's too gross, you know. Uh, finally, Donna Michelle put it out there. And uh, I have no idea how many tapes they sold. But then it went into this sort of dormant period for decades. And people who really into that genre, really into the VHS thing, uh, we're paying like three and $400 for a copy of the movie. So when Rob over at Visual Vengeance said he wanted to put it out again, I, I, I was really grateful and glad. And I hope that all of those people who have been talking for years about not having access to the movie, uh, I hope they'll go out and buy this Blu-ray that he's put together. I think he did a fantastic job on the special features. And uh, I think the release that he's put together treats the film with a great deal more respect than maybe it even deserves. <laughs> oh. Well, I think what's really cool about films being released like this on Blu-ray, this, like the viewer culture right now is all oh, I'll catch it on Amazon or I'll catch it on Netflix. There's some films you will not, you will not catch on these platforms. Right. It's like, there's a film, I look everywhere, everywhere. I looked on every single streaming platform you could imagine. Do you know that I had it on DVD and a box 
in the other room. I said, this is why. This is why we keep, <laughs> why we keep these things. It's so cool to have. And you're right. The, your release, it has like outtakes, you know, behind the scenes, all this really cool stuff that you don't get on Amazon Prime. Right. Often with this type of film, this uh, weird little almost forgotten film from a long time ago, the special features are actually more interesting than the movie in a lot of ways, because uh, what people have to say about it, what people have to say about how they were influenced by it, uh, the way it was put together, the ups and downs that the filmmakers went through to actually get it into a finished form. Uh, a lot of times fans are very eager to hear those kinds of stories. Right. Absolutely. And it's, there's a lot of these great older horror films that people nowadays, they're like, Oh my God, this is so good. <laughs> How did I hear about it? Well, you didn't hear about it because it was 1986. You probably weren't alive yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, visual vengeance is really, really good about um, releasing films that might be a little more obscure, but they know they know the audience is there. Like for the uh, the abomination, like the audience is there. Right. You know, it's viewer culture again. The viewer culture is so spoiled with VFX, computer generated special effects. The, wait, I just want to like grab them and tell them you don't know what these early filmmakers had to do to get this. <laughs> gaping throat wound that's kind of like breathing a little bit it's like you know, <laughs> like you just go fall down this rabbit hole of like special effects just i mean i made the joke about caro syrup but it's true caro syrup red food coloring that's uh, exactly know. what we use caro syrup red food coloring and a few drops of blue and it up a little bit um yeah we most of the tricks we used we actually got from an old publication that was put out by Famous Monsters of Filmland in the 1960s. Uh, Dick Smith's uh, thing on a little magazine publication, How to Do Monster Effects. And uh, a lot of what the tricks we used were things that we learned from reading that. And see, that's another thing that older films you guys didn't go into it having uh, two million in the bank and having gone to film school. It was you and like-minded friends or colleagues or stepdads. <laughs> and you made this thing. Often they would have your neighbors dressed up as a monster. You know, it's like, it's a little like family affair to bring this to you. And exactly. it, it's something that definitely needs to be appreciated. And well, it is. <laughs> I have a lot of fond memories of the experience for sure. We were shooting out in Poolville, Texas, which is uh, about 40 minutes west of Fort Worth. And uh, back in those days, I mean, you could be shooting on one of the public streets there and go several minutes and sometimes half an hour without even seeing a vehicle. So we kind of had the run of the place and uh, they let us do pretty much anything we wanted to in that town. I ended up shooting a total of four movies out there. And um, in some of those films, I was like blowing up trailers and doing, I, I accidentally caught a farmer's field on fire and burned oh, no. three acres of land uh, before the fire department got there. And they put it out. They asked us what we were doing. They were like really good natured about it. 
And uh, the farmer said, oh, I was going to have to burn that land off anyway, so no problem. We just really lucked out. <laughs> you know, I can imagine trying to do that now. I would have been slapped with so many. Uh, yeah. I'd probably be in jail. Yeah. Right, right. And they they persecute you on social media. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, I can just imagine it had to kind of be a little like symbiotic with the farmer because he's got he's got bragging rights now. He can be like, that's where they filmed. Yeah, exactly. The girl, the girl was laying there covered in blood. He's got stories to talk. Like the the cemetery, the Irwin Cemetery, where the girl is putting flowers on the grave and Cody chases her and ends up cutting her throat. I think directly as a response to our having filmed there, they now have gates and it's all locked up and can't get into that cemetery now. Whoopsie. <laughs> Some good, some bad. Yeah. <laughs> right. But you've been in you've been in the film business for, for years and years. Was this like when you were a kid? Was that what you wanted to do, or did you have a different career path? Yeah. Uh well, I was always interested in writing. I, I remember when I was 10 years old, one night it, it was like a bolt out of the blue. I heard my mom and one of my aunts talking, and that was the first time I realized that. Some people actually got paid to write stories. Up till that time, I thought it was just something people did because they liked it. I mean, my mother was an artist. She painted. She sold very few paintings, but she did it because she liked it, you know. So I was thinking it was the same thing with books. And uh, when they told me that uh, people got paid for it, I asked if there were any famous writers who wrote scary stuff. And they told me about Edgar Allan Poe. So I started reading Edgar Allan Poe. And I thought I was going to be a writer for a couple of years. And I ran across an article in Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine about a group of boys that were the same age as me who were making a Frankenstein movie at a boys club in New York using a home movie camera. And I thought, wow, we've got several home movie cameras in the family between my grandfather and my uncle and everybody. Uh, I could do this, you know. Prior to that, I'd never thought it was even possible for me to make a movie. So within a month or two after that, uh, my friends and I had shot a movie, a three-minute film called Crypt of the Werewolf in the backyard at my house and uh we showed it at school and the kids loved it and they loved it even better when we projected it in reverse. And uh, that was the beginning. Nice. Who played the part of the werewolf? Uh, my friend, Bill Hobbs from across the street. And he, it was just this rubber Halloween mask that we had. Uh, and it was way too big for him. So it was kind of jiggling all around and uh, <laughs> it, it was pretty silly stuff. Well, you need to get Visual Vengeance to release that one as well. If I still had it, somewhere along the way I lost it. I think uh, one of my old friends from junior high school, John Schultz, whom I haven't spoken to since the mid-70s, uh, he's probably got it, but I don't even know where John is anymore. So I'm going to write down his name because we're going to look him up. John. Okay, John Schultz. <laughs> he, he he went to uh, Eastern Hills High School, just like I did in Fort Worth. But that was the last, right at, immediately after high school was the last time I saw him. That's crazy. <laughs> well, you, you mentioned something that's so, so relatable because 
your mom was an artist. My right. mom was with ceramics. Like oh, it yeah. never, never occurred to me that that was because she just did it at the dining room table part time at the ceramic shop. It was oh people people buy these you know people wait they pay people to write stories they pay people to paint pictures you know it's like <laughs> watershed moment like wait a minute and then you get older and you're like oh they pay some of the people <laughs> the lucky ones get paid really well and the rest of them might sell a piece here or there yeah i think with with writing and with like acting and things like that they it's an all or nothing kind of belief system you either think that Every writer is a millionaire or every actor is a millionaire. And it's like, no, it's a job just like it's every a job. Most uh, uh, many of uh, recognizable authors in our country uh, have to teach at universities or have other jobs in order to live the lifestyle they've become accustomed to because if they were trying to live off the earnings from their writing, they would be in an attic somewhere, you know, not eating much. I love that you you display this interest in like scary stories and they gave you Edgar Allan Poe. That's like kind of intense for your first scary reading. I don't know, maybe a little Mary Shelley. You know? Yeah, uh, it, I have a funny story if you don't mind me telling you about that. I had a really strong Texas accent as a little boy and my whole family had that strong Texas accent. And when my mom and my aunt said Edgar Allan Poe, what I heard was first name Ed, middle name probably in quotes, growling Poe, Ed growling Poe. So I went and wrote that down and I went to the library and I asked the librarians if they had any Ed Allan Poe books. And they said, well, of course we do look in the card catalog. And I said, well, I can't find it, you know? And they said, well, are you spelling it wrong? And uh, I handed her my note and she looked at it and she went, oh, this is rich. Can I keep this? And she walked <laughs> off with my <laughs> I imagine she shared it with all the other librarians. This stupid kid thought it's Ed Growling Poe, you know? Listen, there's words I still mispronounce and, and say wrong to this day. I don't know. It, it, I think that she probably like left it in her will. So that's it's been carried down in generations. <laughs> <Probably>. <laughs> if you ever feel dumb, look at this. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Laughter aside for her because you did it. You became the writer that you wanted to be. You're making, you know, you made the films you, you wanted to make. You right. put a product out there that people enjoy whether they want it or not <laughs> uh, right but there's something about like this type of splatter film to where i know it's supposed to be scary i know it's supposed you're supposed to feel like Ugh! but it's just sometimes so out there that you're I, okay. I think pretty much everything i write even the scary stuff always has an underlying sense of humor to it my partner er bills and i have been editing an anthology of Texas horror stories. Uh, every year we put one out in October and we're going, our eighth year is this October. And uh, it's it's been a pretty popular series. We've had uh, stories included in there by Joe Lansdale and some famous people as well, but it's mostly up and comers. Uh, 
the really good as yet fairly unknown Texas horror writers. And uh, I've been real happy with the attention that the series has gotten. And what's it called and where can people get it? It's called Roadkill. Uh, You can buy them on Amazon. I also have a a little WordPress website called texasschlock.com where I sell my nonfiction book um, called Texas Schlock which is about all the cheesy science fiction and horror films that have been shot in Texas on low budgets, beginning in the fifties with Larry Buchanan and carrying it on up to what was current day when, uh, when I wrote the book, which was about three years ago. Um, but there's a web, there's a email address on that site that people can contact me if they want any information about any of the books, or if they uh, don't want to buy it on Amazon and would like to buy a signed copy, they can get get it through there. Right. I think a lot of people do like to support the writer that way. They like to. I know I do. I always try to buy directly from the writer at different author events. You're not just a horror filmmaker. It, it seems like you're you're this professor. Especially like your local, your environmental horror, you know what's going on, you know what's been filmed there, you know what the the scene is, so to speak. I think that's cool. I think all of us start out, all horror filmmakers start out as fans. And so when you're a kid and you're coming up and you're really interested, you're making horror films in your backyard and you hear, oh, there's a guy over in Dallas named Larry Buchanan that's doing this same kind of thing except they end up on TV, you know, and you watch Larry Buchanan's films and you go, oh, those are atrocious. Those are some of the worst films I've ever seen. But he's our guy. He's our local guy. You know, he's like someone that made it seem possible that we could make that leap to professional filmmaking. Right. And even just a case of this is what I didn't like in Larry's film. So I'm going to do it this way. (laughs) Yeah, we all start out thinking that. (laughs) (laughs) Once you get sucked in, it doesn't always work that way. Well, I'm that friend that will like hype you up, even if I think whatever you did was horrible. Oh, no, I'm I'm the same way. Listen, the world is full of people that are going to tell you your stuff sucks. I'm the guy that's going to look for whatever is good about it. Yes. Yes. But I say, and let me tell you that every person that's come on this show, I have. I have liked, you know, I, the person loved them. They're cool, you know, everything, but sometimes it's a, it's a tough watch and right. it's just, it's just not my thing. Or I always try to find something like, Oh my God, you grew up in Texas. That's so cool. Tell me a little, an empathetic, nice person's all about, it's not that hard. <laughs> right? right. Right. Some people can hate. Some people can choose who you want to be, I suppose. Exactly. Well, what's coming up next for you? Well, let's see. Um, when we were when we were shooting the special features for the Abomination and Replicator, uh, Rob of Visual Vengeance brought a crew down to Dallas, and uh, because of that, I met Mark Polonia. He was running the camera. Well, Mark, as you probably know, has done like. I don't know, something like a hundred feature films now. And uh, he's just a really likable, low key kind of a guy. I I hit it off really well with Mark. And so 
after 25 years of really having nothing to do with film, I watched some of his stuff and I thought, you know, the technology has gotten to the point where anyone who really wants to can make a movie because there's free editing software you can download. Uh, you can shoot the thing with your camera, your phone, your smartphone. Uh, so I decided to do what I call my student film project to learn the digital way of capture and everything. So uh, a little over a year ago, I did a movie called Christmas Craft Fair Massacre, which uh, was literally a no budget movie. But um, because I had to buy a couple of costumes and props and because I fed everyone who volunteered their time, ended up costing me about $350 to do the movie. But Rob Hoschild said uh, he would distribute it. <laughs> So the thing got distributed. It's on Tubi now or uh, Prime or whatever. It's streaming. You can see it. And uh, it was my learning experience. So now that I made all the mistakes that I made on that, and I have learned to actually get uh, some pretty nice looking footage with my cell phone, uh, I'm going to do... Uh, a sort of uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde story, uh, probably sometime in October. That sounds cool. Yeah, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is one of one of my favorite like tales. It's so representative of like reality. Not that we're gonna physically split apart and you know be two different things, but everybody has those those two wolves inside. You know, to it's just a really great tale about like. Yes, it's a it's a monster, you know, it's a horror, like it's scary, it's weird, but it's also it makes perfect sense. I don't know, I don't know how to better say that, but it's it just resonates like with a, a many many people, and you can tell that it does by the fact that it has been uh, turned into a movie more times than any other horror novel from that era. It's a morality tale. I guess, wrapped up in a horror film. And that's why... Well, I, I, I think it's also uh, just a, sort of a Jungian depth psychology kind of a thing as well, you know? It's like everyone needs to get in touch with their dark side and acknowledge it, you know? Because when you push it down, it comes out in weird, unexpected ways. Is that That's a tangent we don't need to go down, but you're absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I don't know. Well, I look forward to seeing every, you are so busy. You took 25 years off to relax apparently. And now you're just kicking it. <laughs> I, I got, I got burned out because I was really trying to make a living at this. And, um, I had some really bad experiences with distributors who filed bankruptcy and, you know, after they had sold my film all over the world. And, uh, I was just, it, in 1996, I just decided there's got to be an easier way to make a living. So did a lot of other things. Uh, always kept writing just for my own creative fulfillment. And uh, I volunteered at an art camp for kids. And that got me back into painting about four or five years ago. So I've got a garage full of paint supplies. And I go out there and paint whenever I need to get uh, some image in my head out, you know, there, there are images that will haunt me. 
and the abomination was one of them. And unless I do something with it, that kind of regurgitates it out into the world, uh, it just, it won't leave me alone until I let it take some kind of form. So people say I'm compulsively creative and I, I think that's probably accurate. Well, I'm incredibly jealous that you can get the images out because I can't draw. <laughs> I cannot draw a straight line. I'm just like, it's it's exactly what you describe. It's this this idea, this image. You try to tell somebody about it, they don't get it because they're not in your head. Right. And to be, or to you know, to even just sketch it or draw it, I'm incredibly jealous. And oh, don't be jealous. Keep trying. Keep looking for ways to do it. Right. Well, what you're doing here is one way, you know, you're talking to people about things like this. Yeah. Oh, I can definitely talk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I just had I just had one question. You said uh, you paint in the garage and this heat. Well, uh, when it's really, really hot, I don't get out in the garage much, but that's only about six to eight weeks out of the year. The rest of the year, if I have my fan blowing, uh, you know, I'm not in direct sunlight, so it's not too bad. Oh, wow. I'm jealous of that as well. I'm in Florida, and it's been a hot summer. <laughs> you know what? I am really, really grateful. Most of the houses I've lived in did not have a place where I could create art and uh, and just leave all my stuff set up and not worry right. about how big of a mess I make, you know? So this house that I'm living in now with my life partner, Patrice, uh, I've been here seven years now, and it's been really liberating to have that garage that I can go out to and, and make monsters and stuff, you know? Well, I'm sure Patrice loves it as well. <laughs> she does. She does. And she makes jewelry, so she's got her outlet. Yeah. Okay. Well, can we promote Patrice as well? Does she have a website or is she on Etsy? She doesn't have a website, but uh, she her company is called Fire and Wire Art by Patrice. And uh, we're going to be at the Weird Wednesday on October 4th, which is also Patrice's birthday in Aww. Fort Worth. They're going to do a screening of the abomination and we'll be set up as vendors. She'll be selling her jewelry and I'll be selling my books and DVDs. Well, okay. I'm sorry. What was the name of that again? It's called weird Wednesday. It takes place at the old preservation hall building in South Fort Worth. And it's a, it's a monthly event where they show really bizarre movies. Most of which are films that you would never really even get a chance to see anywhere, not on streaming or anywhere. So and what day is that? October 4th? October 4th. It's a Wednesday. Yeah. Kira, my co-host, I couldn't join us. I'm going to tell her. So if you see a, a beautiful tell young Tell her to show up and introduce herself. We'd love to meet her. I will. If you, if you see a, a, a girl with long hair and the uh, personality of a chaos squirrel, that's Kira. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been amazing talking to you. Just uh, to recap, September 26th, Visual Vengeance. Well, they've They'll be able to find it on your website as well or the Visual Vengeance website? Uh, they'll have to go to Visual Vengeance for, for Abomination and Replicator. Uh, on my website, you can get copies of Texas Schlock. Um, actually, most of my back catalog of films that haven't been out for a long time, Rob will be releasing 
in the coming months, like uh, Time Tracers, which stars Jeffrey Combs and uh, Biotech Warrior and a lot of films that haven't seen the light of day for many decades will be coming out on Visual Vengeance. So uh, for people who are into every variety of bizarre little Texas made movie, he's got covered. <laughs> what an abundance of blessings you got going on. That's crazy. Yeah, I feel great about it. I, I am really, uh, I never expected any of this to happen and to have someone as uh, good at what he does as Rob is uh take control and put the things out there and put as much effort as he has put into these releases is really is a super blessing. I never expected it to happen. Um, it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy because you're amazing. Thank you. <laughs> so kind, the professor of Texas horror right here, you guys. Clock.com. <laughs> and also uh, you can find Roadkill on Amazon or your website. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been amazing. Thank you for having me. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. We'll talk again. Okay. Right, have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. This has been an Odd Imagination production. Here at Odd Imagination, you'll find book, film, television, and product reviews, as well as roundtable discussions, current events, and hot topics. We are advocates for equality and the freedom to be who you are, no matter what. Odd Imagination gets its name from autism and imagination, two things that are very important to us. If you would like more information on Odd Imagination and the podcasts that we host on our website, you can visit oddimagination.org, A-U-T-I-M-A-G-I-N-A-T-I-O-N.org. But you moved away for school like everybody did Mm, You'd always end up showing up, baby In the Wildcat I know you never stopped wearing We go away Back to 17th, back skipping through a CD Somehow we-